0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Cool show today. We have Chrissy of Levo, which is a home kitchen device to infuse your own oil or butter. In fact, not just with cannabis, but with any herb uh, and then lots of different combinations, different recipes that you can do there. Uh, Chrissy is a fascinating founder who left a really good career in consulting uh, because she just couldn't imagine doing anything else besides bringing this to the world. Uh, We also talk about what it's like to travel to China 10 or 12 times a year to visit the manufacturer. It's a great episode. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. All right, Chrissy, well, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Really excited to have this conversation and all the way from China you're coming from us. I think that's a first for our show. Uh, We'll get into what you're doing in China, but first of all, just welcome. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, so let's get started on an easy one. Uh, What is Levo?
1: Levo's is an at-home oil infuser. It's a -a first-of-a-kind kitchen appliance that lets you infuse any oil or butter into any any herb into any oil or butter.
0: So this is for home cooks that want to make edibles for themselves, uh, and you can get any cannabis flower any herb uh actually not just cannabis flower correct any herb and infuse it into oil or butter i saw a lot of other different combinations on the website too um what's kind of your favorite combination what how do you like to use it
1: yeah um i think you know and something that we're really passionate about as a brand too is getting people to experiment with things that are you know mixing cannabis and other non-cannabis herbs so i really love like My favorite things to make are homemade like scrubs, skin scrubs. Uh, So you can infuse like lavender and or cannabis, which has plenty of benefits for your skin into a coconut oil and then add like sugar and orange juice or lemon juice or anything like that. It's pretty much like salt or sugar plus some kind of acid plus an oil and you can infuse it. So that's one of my favorite things just to have or I like having it around. It's so much more economical. So I do that all the time. Um, personally. But yeah, we've seen like incredible ideas from, we love getting emails from our customers with all the fun things that they're making. And um, there's tons of possibilities. And yeah, that's the whole idea is you can basically take, uh, you know, your favorite stuff. So, you know, really nice, nice shake or bud um, and, you know, premium ingredients you'd buy at the grocery store, no solvents or anything like that um, and create things that, have ingredients you can stand behind uh you can't always say that about pre-made stuff
0: got it so that leads into my question a little bit about pre-made stuff but why why does this need to exist in the world i mean there's edibles everywhere i look granted i live in san francisco why why does someone need to do this at home
1: because they can have a real control over what they're consuming um You know, I think it's been a common theme. I got started on this in 2011, and for me, the trend that I saw sort of transcending all these other trends uh, was just a a desire for more control. You know, more of us want things customized, on demand, uh, and when it comes to health and wellness, you know, whether it's being more environmentally responsible or, you know, discovering that hyper corn syrup is not good for you or whatever it might be, like there's just a heightened awareness of ingredients and a back-to-basics kind of movement that you see in the form of like farm-to-table or whole 30-type diets or whatever. Um, so definitely giving people, giving the power back to the people essentially and giving people the control to put exactly what they want in there and nothing that they don't. Um, and, and you know, specifically for in like, Cannabis infusion, in particular, is it makes a huge mess. So currently, you know the current methods that are out there, even other products, um, you know you, you stink up your whole house and you make a huge mess, and you got to get the, you got to whip out the cheesecloth, and it's not discreet by any means. And we really want to improve that and help normalize and move the whole industry forward in the process. So we're really trying to make something that's easier and. Much more convenient, but also offers you so much more control um, because we believe in healthy people, and that's kind of like my passion behind a lot of it too.
0: Totally, yeah. Um, Is it also more efficient than the classic cheesecloth sort of method?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, it's we we mostly do small batches, and we and we mostly make recipes that are more on the microdose side as a brand. Um, But yes, it's definitely more efficient because you have less steps. Um, It generally takes not too much time. Most infusions that I make, I do in under two hours. Um, And then I don't have any steps after to filter or otherwise. And uh, it also doesn't carry the chlorophyll with it. So it doesn't, uh, what you get is not green and tastes like grass because it uses a steeping method that doesn't grind up all of that sediment um, and release just a bunch of chlorophyll. So... Yeah, it's more efficient, and you get a different product at the end of it.
0: Got it. Well, the device is absolutely beautiful uh, from a design perspective. You definitely should go to the website um, and check that out. Um, we're talking about hardware here, which is the reason that you're in China. Um, can you talk about why it's important to physically be there and source this stuff from yourself? And, and, and what, what do you get out of actually being in China through hardware? Yeah.
1: Um yeah, and I've done a lot. I've done a lot of that, you know. I think uh, in the beginning, when you're starting a hardware company, it's so easy to fall into all of these offers that are out there for people with product ideas that pretty much keep you away from the source and keep you blind to exactly where it's all coming from and charge you a gajillion fees in the process. So I'm really passionate about speaking out about that and getting involved directly. Um, but I mean, you know. Uh, it's mostly that at the end of the day, people build these things. It's people. It's not a robot. It's not a machine. You know, manufacturing is is a totally human process. There's a learning curve. Um, And there's a lot of like earnest, hardworking people here in China that I've worked with that, you know, we need to all work together to get it right um, and to do what we want to do. And and there's very long lead times to make changes. So, um, you know, if I want You know, if I get feedback that I want to implement or if I have some kind of new thing that I want to do, I've got to get started on it really early um, and I have to, you know, be collaborative with humans to accomplish it, you know. So that's kind of, I think, what's important about being here in person.
0: Very cool. When you started this company, did you think that you would have to go there, I think you said 10 or 12 times in a year? Did you expect to be there that much?
1: Um, No, not quite. No, I didn't. Um... So, and I've, you know, and I've had to break through, you know, just like, just, just like with anything, you know, the first introductions that you get and the first, the path to entry is not probably what you're going to stick with as you grow. So, you know, in the early times, I, you know, had a lot of promises about other people that were going to help me and yada, yada. Um, So I definitely ended up having to pick, pick up more of it myself. But now on the other side of that, I feel so empowered by the knowledge that I've gained. And I feel like going forward, I'm in such a different position to keep having more and more control over the product and be able to be more and more responsive to our customers. Um, because now the, now the knowledge is in house, um, you know, so I never expected it, but I'm really, I'm exhausted, but I'm grateful for it, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It sounds so daunting. Uh, to, um, how does one break into that? You know, how do you get a connection in China? How how do you start that process?
1: Yeah. Um, and the fact that like, people make it seem very exclusive, and it, it seems so daunting, people monetize that, <laughs> you know, mm, yeah. So there's a lot of like yeah. scams and, and different things you could fall into. I'm super passionate to talking to other very early stage hardware founders about how to avoid some of that stuff. Um but essentially for me it was (laughs) um actually it was like it was a connection of a connection of a connection. It was like my academic advisor in colleges, fiancés, brothers, old bosses, wife's friend, yada yada. Like it was one of those. Um, Just work in the network. network. (laughs) That was actually the real relationship right there. Um, But it was a very long chain of events that ultimately led me to someone who uh, you know, actually worked with real factories in China, um, and I and you know I went and met with that person. Uh, and at the time, I had been I had paid students to make some prototypes for me, like garage style, like hacking existing appliances style, uh, and then some students at Parsons who were like industrial design students who used their lab and made an actual three D printed version of it and then I was right when I first got that introduction China was working with a product design firm like one of these kind of swankier firms that had done some shark tank projects and stuff like that that I had found online and had I not gotten the intro and not started working more directly with the source you know I would have been much more difficult for me to get off the ground because the capital needs for hardware are already so high Uh, and then you add in any kind of middleman or any kind of design service like that. And you need way more funding at the, at a much earlier stage when you have so much, you know, so much less to put into a a deck. (laughs) Um, so, and I was self-funded at that time. So anyway, it's, uh, it was, you know, it was an, it was ultimately an introduction. It was ultimately relationships. Um, but it's, it's it's easier to get started if you have a lot of if you have a lot of cash, just like with anything else, you know, because you could work sure. with one of those um, one of those sourcing kind of design firms. Yeah, around.
0: absolutely. Yeah, no, that's an excellent transition. Uh, let's talk about fundraising a little bit. Hardware is notoriously expensive, uh, at least as compared to developing software. Um, tell me about the process of this. You know, I mean, this is not a traditional product. This is um, certainly you had to sell this pretty hard. How, how did those conversations come together? What were what some, some concerns there?
1: Yeah, um, so it's definitely it's definitely hard. You know, I needed... Several hundred thousand dollars to get it all started, um, some of which I funded myself over the course of several years, thanks to you know great jobs I was fortunate enough to have out of school, um, and putting putting it all together, you know, it was I you know tried to I had a couple different case studies of you know other products and how they were brought to life. I had you know at least the beginnings of these relationships where I was much more direct with the source, so there weren't as many mysterious elements to be more convincing that I was going to be able to pull it off because it's obviously very high risk. Um, and then, yeah, I, I got—I basically got, I funded with Angel Funding the tools and everything necessary to get production started and opened a pre-order campaign around the same time. So then um, the pre-order campaign and actually having orders uh, and validation from customers sort of helped. Once you get that, as you know, with fundraising, you know, once you start getting some momentum, then it all starts But that to must change. have
0: been an amazing feeling, right, to get those pre-orders for the first time. Like, this is your baby. You want this to exist in the world. And then other people say, wow, I want this to exist, too. Yeah. Um, how, many, how many pre-orders did you get in the first, you know, little tranche?
1: Um, we just did the MOQ. We closed it at the you know my minimum order quantity with the manufacturer at a thousand units, and we okay. focused for a couple months on just getting those out, um, and then we started you know placing more POs and then eventually got distribution. But yeah, that was an incredible feeling. I felt, um, you know, especially because it was such a long time coming for me. Like I literally had had the idea cooking in my mind since 2011 and worked years at a different job that I wasn't as into and um, to see it really come to life was honestly surreal, um, and I have to remind myself all the time now that we, um, you know, that I see the product in more and more places, I have to remind myself of the days where I said, like, if I saw one Levo on one shelf, I'd be the happiest person in the world, you know? Um, <laughs> so I have, I have to keep thinking that when, there, when other, when we, when we have other, like, good problems, but yeah, we had a, we, and, and the most amazing thing about our pre-order campaign was how organic it was, um, and our head of marketing, or, uh, the head of creative Olivia, she, uh, always comments that, you know, of all the products that she's been a part of building in different brands, she's been a part of, um, building up. She feels like this one has had just such a, like really organic network of people that were, you know, waiting for it. And we, you know, haven't had to leverage advertising or anything like that. We've like truly built, uh, a community and, uh, a lot of people have found us in a very organic way so that was that was awesome like i remember during the pre-order campaign when we appeared on the front page of uncrate we were like why is the website blowing up you know because we just did a pre-order campaign on our own website we didn't do kickstarter or anything like flashy like that we just had it on levooil.com powered by this really interesting pre-order uh website called celery that's powered by indiegogo which was great. they were great to us and, um, yeah, and then one day it was just kind of blowing up and we were on the front page of Uncrate and that kind of helped get momentum. Yes, yeah, so. absolutely. absolutely.
0: Talk about the decision to cap it at a thousand. Cause I think a lot of crowdfunding Kickstarter companies, uh, they make the mistake of raising so much, um, and promising, you know, 20,000 units or whatever. Uh, you know, how did you, how did you decide to cap it?
1: Yeah. Um, great. Great insight there. Um, Honestly, exactly what you just said. Like, I had seen enough war stories, and I had met some people that had done it, and I I almost did a Kickstarter campaign about two years before. Almost did it. Had the the video filmed. Oh. um, Yeah, which was a very painful experience for me. I am not... (laughs) It's not my forte. Um, But, uh, yeah, I had everything ready to go, and then I decided against it, and that was one of the reasons was just... Oh, there's so many risks. It's super calculated. And the people that do it right, I mean, it's truly a science. And I give people so much credit that do it right. But um, yeah, overpromising and under underdelivering was like not an option in my mind. And I knew people, I had great mentors who warned me about that, honestly. So I can't really take too much credit for uh, that foresight. But I can say that I had great spark notes from people who, you know, had made those mistakes, basically, and were willing to lend some gray hair.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you talked about risk a couple times here, and it is a pretty tremendous risk. I mean, you're you're creating what is a new category here, and the device is not exp- is not inexpensive to produce, nor is it inexpensive uh, for consumers. Uh, take me back to, you know, you had a really good start to your career. Uh, you were a senior consultant at IBM right out of college, seemingly. You had some good internships before that. Why why would you stop and create this weed oil machine i mean i mean for real the question that uh, all of
1: my friends and people i went to school with are are all wondering yeah i mean everybody thought i was nuts for years when i was moonlighting this project basically and like bleeding all of my savings into it um i couldn't get it out of my head brandon like i I can't explain it to you. I am not spontaneous at all. <laughs> and I never was. And I was very dead set on that career. Um, but yeah, you know, I was actually dead set on a banking career. And then that was the that was the beginning of me kind of like chipping away at like finding something where I could like let my spirit go a little more wild um, was sort of the uh, raising my wife flag and going to consulting. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was a slow, it was like a slow pro- process. That was letting your
0: hair down. Consulting <laughs> was letting your hair down. you know. Yeah. Got it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So a little bit, but I, you know, once I, I, I don't know, there was something about the idea that was just so stuck in my head. Like it was, I just was so thoroughly convinced that I could solve the problem that I saw, you know, of just like this very black and white. And I, I just kept having this black and white infomercial in my head of somebody making, infusions at home and like it's just this total mess and it's like you know they're spilling things everywhere and it stinks and they like look upset like literally an infomercial just like kept playing in my head I couldn't get it out of my head so I just couldn't stop um and then before I launched you know I definitely reached a fork in the road where my personal financial stress had, had amounted to a point where I was like okay I need as a responsible adult that wants to maintain my independence I need to uh, you know I do need to make a decision at some point, like which way I was going to go, because I had spent a lot of time hemming and hawing about how exactly to release it. Um, but once I really set my mind on like a general direction, which I had, I had toyed with, I did like little weird ways of doing a beta of different uh, branding concepts and launch concepts. Hmm. Um, and then found And then once I kind of had enough of it figured out in my own head, then I felt like the world sort of started serving me all the right people. And then it became much easier to rip the band aid off and to like really quit and really do it full time and, you know, go convince people to write some checks and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think it's incredibly inspirational. It's one of the reasons that we do this show is to sort of show people that against the odds and against common misconceptions about hardware and China. And you just, you do it because you can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. Um, And uh, that's so powerful, that message, I think. Um, Okay, so you you get this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So tell me, flash forward a little bit. Uh, tell me how you get these in the hands of as many people as possible. You know, how many people are going to buy this device and and what's the strategy there? You know, distribution and how do you get it to people?
1: Um, so what we've been doing to date uh, to build, you know, like our initial customers from pre-order all the way through now is, you know, a lot of organic marketing through, you know, partnerships, brand partnerships, you know, finding other like-minded brands and working with them and collaborating on content, um, educating people for free, you know, like telling, sharing recipes, sharing ideas, um, sharing cool pictures, you know, honestly, things like that, like building a sense of community has been, you know, that was our biggest start. And then obviously wholesale distribution changed our business a lot. Um, and that's gotten it out. You know, in person, which has its own kind of viral effect, Um, and we and we distribute we distribute through Greenlane, and there's some some of the most talented, smart people that we know in the industry. So, uh, very happy about that, and have a great partnership there. And that's you know that's really cool to see it to see it in person. It's different. It's so different than the online business and the direct uh, D2C business. So. Yep. It'll keep evolving. So,
0: so, so much of what you're doing kind of revolves around brand and marketing um, and sort of positioning that there. Talk me through the analysis a little bit. Who is this for? Uh, how do you get to them? What What's how to build a brand and marketing from scratch? I think it's something that founders struggle with a lot.
1: Definitely. Um, and it's not creative is not my forte. Like I had a vision how I wanted it all to be, but, but actually executing it, uh, you know, I really needed to find, uh, a team member that could help me do that, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, so yeah, this, this, our, our customer is the widest demographic you can imagine. I mean, we serve, you know, 19 year old males to, you know, senior women. And, uh, it's been a really cool, journey and challenge for us to try to figure out how to have that kind of mass appeal and to have something for everyone. And, um, you know, I'm a very, like, in the middle person on most things, so I think that's my contribution to the brand, uh, and that was my passion about where it was as well. Like, I just wanted it to be, you know, our vision, one of our big parts of our vision statement is accessibility, um, and accessibility means, you know, it's it's not just economical, but it's also designed in a way that's, like, socially Acceptable. Um, it's easy to use. Uh, the the words that we use are not, you know, going over your head. You know, we're we're really about accessibility and giving and giving a new opportunity to people that was previously very challenging or unaffordable uh, or, you know, not healthy or, or whatever. So, um, we just try to keep that in mind. But yeah, our customers are, are an extremely wide demographic. Um, I think a lot about a Whole Foods shopper. And this is why people thought I was nuts in 2011, because as you know, uh, the cannabis industry was not where it is now. Yeah, we've come a uh, long way. A <laughs> way. <laughs> we have come a long way. And I was in Manhattan where it was different. Um, so when I was talking about, you know, there's a lot of people walking around Whole Foods that have that are inclined towards controlling their ingredients um, and natural foods and natural wellness who are also discreet and discerning cannabis users, people thought I was crazy. Um, so that's... You know, that, that target customer and that concept of how it, how it kind of blends in with other, the broader wellness trends, essentially, um, that's, that's something that we, you know, that's, that's kind of like what we think about first and foremost. And then from there we try to have, we try to make that have as much mass appeal and accessibility as possible. And something yeah, for Accessibility
0: is great. Um, that's a really great way to describe any brand, I think. I'm so happy that you didn't say lifestyle. Uh, everybody is a lifestyle brand, so much so that I don't know what a lifestyle brand is, I guess. Uh, do you have any insight there? I mean, what, what does that mean? What does lifestyle brand mean? That's
1: funny. I've said it before. I can't say I'm not guilty of that. I have for sure said that before. Um, (laughs) oh man. Um, to me, I I mean, this might be a business school answer, but (laughs) like to me, a lifestyle brand is sort of like Coca-Cola. You can have a poster that has a really attractive person that says be happy and somehow it relates to, you know, soda. So that's, uh, you know, that, that's kind of an achievement if you can do that. I guess you
0: kind of know it when you see it. Is that, is that, is that the way lifestyle guess, brands work? I think it's
1: just like <laughs> you can put it on, you know, you, it can, you can put it on anything essentially. Like it can, you can brand any different type of product. I would say that would be the goal, you know, like if you had yeah. if you truly accomplished that level of brand equity that you can call yourself a lifestyle brand, then you could probably make products that, you know, play into different aspects of someone's lifestyle.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm just like,
1: I'm just like picturing
0: (laughs) Kleenex right now or something. (laughs) Yeah, Kleenex
1: like bathrobe or something. It's like sort of tangentially related. Um...
0: Yeah. Uh, So you you alluded to the fact that um, you didn't do this alone. Uh, Tell me about the team a little bit um, and sort of the important pieces there.
1: Oh, yeah. Totally didn't do it alone and have had, mentorship, mentorship and advisory from the very start. Thank goodness. Um, and, uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I think it started in, you know, in college, I tried to force some friends and, and contacts to be involved. It was very early, that, That's kind of like the craziest time is the, the earliest, earliest stages when you're trying to get it together. Um, and there were a lot of people that, you know, helped me at that time or, listen to hours and hours of brainstorming or whatever was going on that I consider you know sort of part of the team in spirit for sure Um, so there was that phase of it Um, and then there was a long period of me being by myself and just having like some really great mentors and advisors that I kept going back to that I sort of consider my team at that time And, and then and then and then I started adding on contractors who I was hiring to help me and that became the team um, and then I had a, found, a founding team in um, like a chief relationship officer and a chief uh, creative officer, uh, head of marketing sort of in the first year. And now we have a product strategist and, and lead operations and um, some you know, designers and other folks that we work with on a consistent basis that feel like an extension of our team. So I would say like if I use the word staff instead of just like immediate full-time team I would say we're like gaining on 10 people that work on it really consistently which is an amazing feeling for me um and yeah we're very but we're very horizontal um like each of us including me we're like all in the boat rowing together um we each have our own roles um and we have very distinct roles um like I'm really inspired by the founder of Patagonia who said uh like if the warehouse guy came to him and said that the warehouse was on fire he'd be like, I don't know how to help you. Um, right. <laughs> so we're, we're very horizontal at this point. We're super, super efficient. And I'm really loving this stage of the company where um, it's definitely like bursting at the seams in terms of how, how busy we are. But each person kind of ha- has their own metronome set and their own stuff to do. And everybody's feeling super fulfilled and uh, you know all the, the substance to all the work that they're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... Let's talk a little bit more about your role or sort of just your day to day when you're not in China uh, how do you balance your time I mean certainly there's a thousand things pulling your direction um, yeah how do you spend your day most days
1: um, I go to the office we, I have an office <laughs> usually I try to I try I honestly like my new my new thing is I'm really trying this year to like just at least make time for myself to be healthier you know so i try to i'm an early bird and i i do what's called a morning celebration like i get up earlier than i need to get up um so generally i'll, I'll wake up kind of excessively early try to get a workout in and kind of have some like peaceful time in the morning and then i like slow, five, five, four, like five six. yeah okay. yeah okay for yeah. sure yeah. Five, yeah more like five i would say most weekdays when i'm not traveling um and then yeah try to get a workout in and then slowly start building momentum into the day by answering emails and coming online. Um, and then spending the day in the office, which has a mix of like pure silent time where I'm like banging away at the computer, just totally plugged in and then like laughing with my team and and breaks like that. So that's great. Um, and then try to, I'm, I'm I'm boring. I don't know, Brandon, like then I go home and I, (laughs) I'm really excited if I can actually like cook something. That's that's my life a little bit. Um, so yeah, yeah, a lot no. of traveling. I haven't really had a semblance of routine in a while, but hopefully this year I can establish a bit more of that and take a lot of the advice we give our own customers about, you know, just like wellness. But Taking it definitely gets crazy. I, I'm I'm totally married to the cause. So if uh, if I have to pick up and do something spontaneously, I will. So I'm not I'm not super uh, drilled into my routine.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when you do get home, uh, in the rare case that you have some time to yourself, um, do you? How much of the levo do you use? Are you a big edibles consumer? Uh, you know what? What kind of consumer are you? Um,
1: I love making those scrubs um, and, and things like that, uh, and I love like chapstick and skin stuff. Like I like things that I can have around because, like, since I'm so busy, I can't count on. Um, you know, I like to have things that are like ready to go whenever I have the impulse. So I generally have like a stock of things that I've made, um, and yeah, I have it in my kitchen. And I I love using it. I think it's I think it's awesome to use it and just and to see it work. It constantly changes. Like I always have a different. I never have the same. I'm like thinking about my kitchen and how how many times we've like swapped the color we have and swapped the machine because like there might be somewhere else I need to bring it or whatever. So. It's very mobile in my life, um, but uh, yeah, no, I and I love um, I love things like patches and uh, you know high CBD strains and things like that. I have a lot of injuries that I that I nurse um, from the past, like a bad knee and a bad elbow, and I get migraines and stuff like that. So I I generally use like a, a lot of high CBD stuff to help me treat those kind of things.
0: Can you enjoy using the product at this point? Or are you constantly just thinking like <laughs> this could be better or you're this could be different? You know, <laughs> is it enjoyable?
1: Yes and no. Like, yeah, you're definitely, you're definitely on to me. I'm definitely, I definitely have like productive paranoia that prevents me from enjoying a lot of things right now. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I can, I can, I can, I still feel a sense of awe every time I, I see it. You know, there's still like a small part of me that's can is still so connected to all the years I spent trying trying to get it designed. um, That feels like I'll just have random moments where like I see the machine or I see a team member and I just am like, wow, this is really happening. Um, So I can still smell the roses. (laughs)
0: <laughs> nice and, nice and well I'm it. glad to hear that I'm glad to hear yeah, that but
1: I, don't, I also am not in this for my own personal consumption you know this is a very serious business for me I'm very serious about my career really serious about you know developing the right product so for me like my personal consumption you know things like particularly the migraines kind of inspired me to get more into natural wellness in general and I'm really passionate about like empowering other people for whatever solutions work for them because I've found what works for me um, but it's not you know, it's not my own, it's not enabling my own consumption habits or anything that inspire me to do this. It's more a yep. broader, yep. A broader wellness platform.
0: Got it. So I'll get you out of here just on the last question. I want to talk about the future uh, a little bit. Uh, first of all, how big is the market for this device? You know, how, how many of these can you sell?
1: It's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously the numbers that, you know, we've seen in industry reports in the past couple years for cannabis-specific ancillary products um, would be way different than, let's say, the 10 million coffee machines that were sold a couple years ago annually uh, to people in the U.S. Uh, There's obviously a spread there, and I believe we're somewhere in the middle. Um, So I've struck a million different numbers, um, but, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. But our vision is, is, is to... Cross into mainstream and leverage mainstream distribution, and um, that's that's truly how we operate. We are we we an herb is an herb is an herb is like what we say. We try not to really um, make anything too specific towards one herb over the other, um, and we hope that we can uh, you know get this out there to more people than other products because we can uh, you know distribute in more mainstream methods and get it to places where there's more foot traffic, you know.
0: Got it, got it. And what else are you working on? You gotta be cooking something up, new design, something, anything you can share with us?
1: Um, we have a couple new accessories that we've recently started marketing. Um, things that let people put more urban at one time, squeeze every bit of oil out, storage solutions. Um, and that can kind of give you a sense of like, you know, where we're going with it. You know, we ultimately want to be a one-stop shop for your infusion needs and we you know we 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 hear every bit of feedback that we get from customers and every dream they're like oh i wish i had this or that we are we are listening constantly so right now we have a a a very long wish list and we're going through the process of you know prioritizing it and force ranking it um but yeah essentially you know you can kind of get the idea of, of like tools and things that are practical and nothing that's ever too polarizing so you know, we want things that open up more doors for all the different types of things that people could make with it, and not focus on any any particular thing. Um,
0: so, awesome, yeah, well said. Um, well, Chrissy, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it was really a pleasure. Uh, how can our audience help you? Are you hiring for anything? The this is your chance to plug whatever you would like.
1: <laughs> um, well, thank you. You already you already opened with a great plug. Thank you. Uh, for calling out our website, SlevoOil.com. Um, we love hearing from customers. We love new customers, obviously. Um, but yeah, we're we're going to be growing. Um, maybe this, maybe as soon as this summer, um, for different things. So certainly, we respond. Anybody who has uh, reached out to us for any interest in working on it or being on the team, we always respond, and we always are curious to hear it out because uh, we love when people have a natural interest in the product first and foremost, and kind of work from there. So for sure, um, open to that. Um, and yeah, we'll just be growing as a business over the next few months. It's going to be kind of crazy. I honestly, I keep my mind very open. I have my set of plans, but I try not to even (laughs) get too committed, you know, (laughs) uh, super open mind about all the different things that could happen and just generally appreciate spreading the awareness. And, uh, we want to have an organic following and an organic customer base. So You know, just raising awareness and letting people know that it's out there uh, hopefully leads to what we would love to see.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, I hope our show helps do that just a little bit. Uh, LevoOil.com. Go pick one up. Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It was a great time.
1: Thank you so much, Brandon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you next time, guys.